Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Katie and I are going to be talking about something that on the surface seems rather puzzling or maybe as though though it were an enigma. And that is, why does it seem that sometimes the most spiritually mature men or the most spiritually mature families are reluctant to joining a local church? This has been the case in our own experience the families that we are a part of, and it seems to be the case in many people that we observe from a distance. So we're going to dive into this subject. Before we dive into this subject, I do want to ask if you are able to go over to iTunes and leave a rating or review, that would be a great blessing to Katie and I. That not only encourages us when you say great things about us, that we like that the most, those are really nice. It also gives us uh, healthy feedback on what, where we should be speaking to or what maybe you guys are learning and what things we could, and what things we can improve upon. It also helps our podcast reach more people and we're grateful for that. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, hello. If you're able to subscribe, please do that. Maybe even like the video, leave a comment because that's another way where we're able to see what you're thinking, what you're going through. We love the feedback. So with that, we'll get this thing rolling. But now that we're a family podcast. So this week was a big week because a couple great things happened this week. We did not have a baby. So that is a big thing that did not happen. But two big things that did. We were just talking about this on the way over here. One... Our four-year-old stopped sucking his thumb. Mm. So that's been a big deal because we always, I teach my kids to suck their thumbs when they're little. Mm. I know that's controversial. Well, I can't believe you just admitted that. But I just love that they have their thumb so handy. It's like way easier than trying to find the pacifier. So Mm. for me, it just simplifies things. And I was a thumb sucker, so I'm partial to it. There's that. But then you have to train them to not do it at some point. Mm. And so I feel like we came up with a great system with Leon and Lucy yep. where we put socks on their hands and then we would use bandage tape to tape the socks on because that was kind of the accountability so that I knew they weren't popping the sock off in the middle of the night, sucking their thumb and putting them back on. Yes. And then they would get a tic-tac in the morning or half a piece of gum every day that they kept the socks on and after four or five days then we went to these little like amazon gloves that they they like you bought them on amazon.com <laughs> yeah these little amazon they don't, they don't make gloves. them down in the amazon somewhere oh man yeah these gloves that i bought on amazon where it's like only the thumb has fabric on it so their hands don't get all sweaty And they can take those off so they don't have the accountability of I see the bandages broken. But they are, it's just like a reminder for the next few weeks of like, hey, don't don't revert. Because no one likes to suck a thumb that has this nasty nylon fabric on it. But anyways, Louie did great. I was really kind of concerned how it was going to go. Leon and Lucy did great. It was super easy. It was like a week and a day or something. And Louie was the exact same way. So that's a blessing. That was. That was a win. Um, Yeah, I'm glad we're able to share that with our listeners. (laughs) I was just like, this is so not the point of the podcast. But I feel like people, if you say like, oh, we trained our child to stop doing anything, people will kind of be curious why. Yeah. I mean, they're probably curious as to why you train them to suck their thumb in the first place. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go into that. Yeah. But I will say that has been a huge asset. Just the fact that we've never had to go, you know, wrestle around and find the like lost binky, you know, pacifier. That's nice. I'm the oldest of 11 kids, right? You guys know that. So I was very aware with what kids had the binkies and what kids suck their thumbs in our family. And I have nightmares still of pulling over at one in the morning on a road trip to Walmart to buy a binky Mm. for the toddler that would not stop screaming his face off because we couldn't find it on the bottom of the van floor. And it, I don't know, I was like 15 or 16 years old. I swore my kids were never to have binkies and they have not. Yeah. The other (laughs) big thing, and I'll say it quickly because I don't want to forget, is that we fully potty trained. Yeah. Elisha takes credit for that. Oh, I'm not taking credit for that. Well, I give him credit for that. Okay. You can give me credit for it. (laughs) He gets credit for that because Lawrence was our fastest potty trainer. But he was super stubborn when it came to doing anything more than that in the yeah. toilet. 
the, the big number two. Yeah. And he, we haven't had any success with that for six months. Yes. That was discouraging. Cause like you said, it seemed like such an easy, we're like, dude, this guy crushed it with the potty. Yeah. It was like and, half a day and he just totally got it. And we're like, this is so easy. And then zero progress for six months when it came to number two. The big yeah, job. He yeah. just refused to go. So anyways, it's been the last three days. We've had zero accidents of any kind. He comes, tells us he needs to go, goes and takes himself, lets us know when he goes, lets us know when he needs to be wiped. And it's just like a whole new world. So anyways, that's awesome. He's two and a half. So he's our oldest child when it comes to potty training. And I will say this. There are pros and cons to training older kids to potty train because we were talking about this. Our younger kids all of our other kids were trained before they were two. Yeah. And they don't have as much control over the situation when they're younger. Yeah. You kind of just take them and they need to go and stuff. But Lawrence could really hold out on you. Yes. Like he would hold out all day until you put him in his, in his diaper for naps. And then he would go in his diaper for naps, you know? Yeah. He really got on a routine. I'm like, okay, I know they'll put a diaper on me when I go down for naps, when I go down for bed. Yeah. And, like he kind of called our bluff because you or I didn't want to put him to bed, not in a diaper because yeah, it's exactly. no fun cleaning up no. that mess, you know, in their, in their crib. And so that was a, that was a journey, but we mission accomplished. But I guess it's nice to have those things done before bringing an infant into the world. Yes, I agree. We've got four potty trained kiddos, but ready for another non potty trained infant. Yeah. Bring it on. Okay. So after all of that, all the home updates that no one probably cares about, let's dive into the the meat of this conversation. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this subject off and on for the last few years because we had similar experiences in our homes growing up where we had fathers that were proactively and very intentionally leading our families in a spiritual manner. They were reading the Bible every day at home. They were themselves studying the word to understand it and to really be able to defend their faith and articulate their faith. And they had a great desire to see their children grow up and walk in the faith. And they wanted to equip us with the ability to do that, to be able to articulate our faith and defend our faith and to defend our faith. And something that was similar in both of them too, was that they went through the season of really being reluctant to be a consistent part of any local church. And I found that so peculiar as I started thinking about this because your dad, my dad are two guys. But then I started thinking of a whole list of men that I look up to. And I would say are some of the men I look up to the most when it comes to fatherhood or being a husband and leading their family spiritually. And all of them have this trait of being reluctant at the, at the least, you know, to, to be a part of a local church. Um, maybe never really become a member, you know, attend here and there, kind of bounce around the different churches in the community and kind of do the, like, well, we do, we do home church sometimes. Sometimes we go fellowship with other people and have a really kind of loosey-goosey attitude regarding the local assembling of the brethren and, and really kind of being opposed to, like, anything formal, anything official, you know, anything that was, like, borderline organized. You're like, we don't want to be a part of an organized church. And I was like, what is it that brings that common thread into these people that, like I said, are kind of a cut above in my mind when it comes to leading their homes and leading their families? And you and I talked about it. Both of our fathers kind of came full circle to going through the season of not putting a high, uh, I guess, price or high value on the local church to now definitely putting a high value on it and being extremely consistent. So we were going to kind of talk about what we think that journey was like for them, why, and what we're planning on doing. This is, this is a fresh conversation too, because Katie and I just became members at our local church. And this is the first time we've ever been members at a church. And it was unique for me because I, I felt that, I felt that, that, that thread of, you know, rugged individuality that I feel like I inherited from, my father and for my family, like I, f- I felt it really flare up when we were about to become members. I'm like, wow, am I really doing this? You know, this is so contrary to how I was raised and, and what I've seen people that I look up to do. So it's been an ongoing conversation. Yeah. I laughed though. We kind of got cold feet when we mm-hmm. started considering membership at our church very seriously. And we actually visited a couple of their churches yeah. real quick because <laughs> we're like, 
I don't know. They just, just seem so official. And it really got us thinking like, okay, where is membership in scripture? Is that actually important mm. or should we be doing this? Is this just like some random man made up thing that has yes. no value? And then, like you said, it got you thinking of all the men you respect that are so hesitant to join. And you were like, there's actually really good reasons why they don't like very valid reasons why these families don't want to join a church and be a part of a, be a part of the body of Christ, obviously at large, but really feel like the church is just represented by any believers that you meet anywhere in any building and not becoming more dedicated to a specific local body. Yeah. Cause of course they would call themselves Christians, a part of the global body of Christ. Yeah. And, and they're like, man, we'll fellowship with any Christians anywhere at any time of the day, you know, and like we all would. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. We'll grab coffee with them. We'll meet them in that country, in this state, in this town. And we're all a part of the church and we encourage one another we exhort one another. And I think that maybe that would be, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth. So I'll just kind of speak more for my father because him and I have talked in depth about this. And, and so, you know, I think that him maybe in reaction to seeing anything formal that, I mean, so much of this is reactionary. So much of it is personality and you're just the, the West and being an individualistic, being, being rugged and saying, Hey, we, we can be, we, we're all I need is me and my Bible like that, that makes me, I don't need a, a pastor or a priest to make me right before God. Christ is the interceder. I can access God, the father through him. I've got his holy word. I've got the spirit of God dwelling within me. A bunch of amazing truths, right? All those things I said are amazing that we've got the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. We've got access to God, the father. We can come boldly to the throne room of grace. We do get this personal connection, this personal relationship to God now because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so maybe because of what was expressed in history through the church and that being you need an additional mediator, you know, you need somebody to interpret the scripture for you. You need somebody to explain what various things in the Bible mean because it's above you. You need to be trained in this area or you need an actual, you know, additional interceder for you. Uh, some of those lies that have gone throughout the church, they were in rea reaction to that. Be like, no. I can understand the Bible. I'll read this thing. And again, these guys that are strong leaders, a lot of those, a lot of that is good. Like I think that any, you know, Bible teacher would exhort and be like, yes, you sit down with your Bible and read it. Like read your face off, go through it over and over and over again. Yes. Teach your kids. Absolutely. Wash your wife in the word. You know, you've got the ability with the Holy Spirit and with your brain turned on to be able to look at like so much of the, so many of the court, I'd say all the core doctrines of the Christian faith are very self-evident in reading the scripture, right? With, mm -hmm. would you find a good literal translation and you can read the Bible and you can understand salvation, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. You get that when you, when you read the Bible. However, I think that the Bible is also very clear about as Christians being saved the way we now walk out our faith is as a part is part of a local body. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about our online music academy called votebergmusicacademy.com. Katie and I actually started this online music academy seven years ago, and over that time we've been able to see thousands of students go through our courses and learn how to play the guitar, the mandolin, the fiddle, the piano, the ukulele, and bring music into their home. And we really curated these lessons so that you're able to learn with your child or you're able to learn by yourself and then bring music into your home and play with your kiddos. We even have it so that you can, you know, subscribe to one course and have three of your kids take the same course. So it's really cost effective and you're able to go at your own pace and bring music into your home. Go to VoperMusicAcademy.com and check this out. Okay, listen up. This is where it gets really good. If you enter the coupon code YouTube at checkout, you will get 10% off each month's payment because it's a subscription. It's a reoccurring payment. So if you put that code in, then it's 10% off each month. So, I mean, that can really add up over time. So bring some music into your family's home. Go over to VoperMusicAcademy.com. I'll link it below. And you guys put in that coupon code and go learn how to play some piano, guitar, fiddle, mandolin, ukulele, your choice. Now, 
Are there different expressions of that? Absolutely. And you and I aren't even very strict on what we feel like qualifies as a local expression of the church. Like as far as we, we, we don't have like very dogmatic statements on how we think a church service should go. Like we're pretty, we're pretty open handed with that. Um, however, I think just here in the West, the organized church is kind of obvious what it is. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know what it is because it's the place that it's the church that meets at this time on this day. Like, so are you part of that or are you not a part of it? And so I think you could get particular about like, well, the church doesn't say, I mean, sorry, the Bible doesn't say in order to not forsake the assembly of the brethren, you need to meet at 10 AM every Sunday at this location. Like, absolutely, it doesn't say that, but that's how this local body chooses to function, is they choose to meet this time, so are you going to be a part of that or not? And so, anyways, I said a bunch of things there, but you were talking about some of the valid reasons that some of these strong men have, maybe, to be to be opposed to going to church, and what do you think some of those are? Well, I was going to ask you, because I think you had the list. Oh, really? Yeah, you wrote the list down. I lost that list, honestly. I was looking back through it. Are you serious? Well, yeah, I think I wrote it in your notebook. Oh, you know what? No, I do have the list here. So I'll that just... That was a quick find. No, wait a second. This is different. This is different. I'll try to remember some of the things. So when you, I think guys like my dad, they had a high view of family, a high view of marriage. And when you walk in, this happens to Katie and I, you walk into an average church in America and like the first thing that you sense is that they are not like family well they're not welcoming to the family and so when you're at home and you're wanting to exemplify to your children reading the bible all together and singing and worshiping all together and the first thing that happens when you show up at church is they encourage this whole like divide and conquer thing and they're like hey like children's church is over here you know the youth program's over here you know, here's your, you know, 3D glasses for the service, go in and enjoy yourself. Then you start sensing like, okay, like this isn't necessarily conducive to what our family wants, but we're going to bring our family into service. And it's crazy how like you and I have visited a church where we've been told by like six different staff members at this church where we can find, they'll like come into the service and be like, Hey, just so you know, we can check your kids in to children's church you're like, boy, this is like kind of oppressive, if anything, to the family. And so as a dad that's trying to lead his family in worship and, like I said, encourage the kiddos learning and, and reading the Bible together, that seems very contrary to what you're doing. You're like, this is actually tearing down everything I'm about. So I think that's one thing that shows up a lot. And then even what comes from the pulpit, it's really remarkable how even some of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, will make remarks about the family that I think are unbiblical and demeaning toward the family. It's like somehow, some, and I, I could probably do a history deep dive into at what point in history and seminaries and Bible colleges there started to be this low view of family, but a common joke that you will hear from, again, an average church around late summer is, the pastor talking about how grateful all the parents are that their kids are finally going back to school. And what's that communicating to the kids and to your family, to your wife, to you? It's like, okay, children are not a blessing. They're a hindrance. They're a burden. Got to get them out of the house. Got to give them back to the state so they can educate them and tell them what's true and what's lovely and of good report. Certainly we're not going to do that. It's not our responsibility. It communicates so much. And the same type of comments are made regarding marriage just this attitude of old ball and chain or jokes about the husband being the dummy, you know, and just let the wife make all the decisions because she thinks more clearly. And these type of comments have been being made, it seems like for a couple decades now, or maybe more longer than that, that are straight up contrary to everything you're trying to do as a, as a, the leader of your home. And so I do think that that is a real flaw of the greater Western church, you know, greater evangelicalism is for whatever reason in the popular seminaries in the popular Bible schools, they maybe are learning the, you know, the Greek definitions to things and they're, they're, they're studying hard on their eschatology, but their attitude towards family and marriage is not, they do not have a high attitude towards or a high view of it. And when that's what you're in the season of putting your time and energy into building your family up. You're like, man, why would I go put myself in an environment 
that's going to tear down the very thing I'm putting like all my energy into. Yeah. And I do think too, it's not, I don't think this is a church specific thing. I think this is just a cultural specific thing. And culture has really infiltrated the church. We all find ourselves impacted by viewing the world through a cultural lens. We can't help it. And so we really have to fight that. But I do think that this is one aspect that maybe the church hasn't really examined what scripture says about marriage and family. And we just kind of take um, our cues culturally and don't think it's a big deal when it comes to humor, stuff like that, instead of thinking, well, this is like in direct opposition to what God says. And we aren't building these things up. We're making a mock of them or, you know, laughing about them. And yeah, I definitely remember going into churches and all of us would line up in the back and sit with, you know, everyone knows you're there because you're this gigantic family. So it's like, they can't miss you. You can't just sneak in. (laughs) And then you all sit in the service and you stick out like a sore thumb. And I remember we would church hop a lot because we moved a lot. And so, well, partially, that was partially, I think like what encouraged it or kept it going for many, many years is growing up, we would um, move about every six months. And because of that, we were always just a part of different churches, or we'd just be at home for a long time, or we'd go visit a church and it would just be, you know, an experience where you're like, well, we aren't going to go back there because we felt very unwelcomed mm-hmm. by that environment or the things that we valued weren't being valued in that environment. And so it really just led to this kind of detachment in general from churches. Yeah. Kind of being a free, free ranger. Free agent. Yeah. Free agent. Uh, something else I think that would occur oftentimes is if and, you know, you said you hopped around to a bunch of different churches and because we would travel around and play music at a lot of a variety of, at a lot of a variety of <laughs> churches, I thought, I think we got a, a brief insight into their culture and into their view of family. Cause I can remember, you know, we would maybe play at maybe 20 different churches a year, you know, for about 10 or 12 years. And, um, and some of those were repeats the following year the following year. Does that make sense? But the point that as I'm making as a family band, as a family band, yeah. the point that I make is that we got to see into, you know, very conservative churches, less conservative churches, more charismatic, less charismatic. And there would be some churches that you could tell just had a healthy view towards family. And you, I mean, as you know, surprise, surprise, it would start from the head down. Like the, the pastor valued his marriage and valued the way he was bringing up his children. And, and so therefore, it, you know, carried out into the congregation. You're like, wow, that was so cool. And then there'd be other churches where you're like, man, that guy was a powerful teacher. He, he loves the word of God, but their attitude towards family was, was really demeaning, you know, and they, you could even tell by the way they'd like introduce you at the church, mm-hmm. like here we are with 10 kids and are they going to say like, this is awesome. They have 10 kids. Or are they going to make all the age old jokes, you know, about like, Hey, somebody should tell them, you know, what causes that. And that would happen periodically as well. You're kind of like, okay, like we're kind of more of a novelty, a freak show and they like our music, but you know, that's just kind of a joke. Like you guys are nuts that you're doing this versus other churches would be like, good for you. You guys are homeschooling. You have all these kids. Yeah, children are a blessing. And so I feel like I got a, a brief insight into a variety of, of churches. But something that would happen regularly with my dad as soon as he would start to sh- attend regularly at a particular church is maybe a pastor would see the fruit and be like, man, this is awesome. Your teenagers bring their Bibles to church. They're in following along. I talked to them after the service. They were tracking. They've got so much insight. They love God's word. We need you guys plugged in way more. We need your kids in youth group. We need you and your wife teaching a young married married course or doing a family discipleship uh, you know, class every week. And they start asking, asking, asking. And my dad is a big time advocate of serving in the church, but at the same time, prioritizing his home first, his marriage first, and then from that, from having that ability to serve in addition to that or from a place of strength in those areas. And people that would maybe praise him and be like, man, love, love what you're doing here. Let's get your kids in the youth group. We, we need to influence our other kids. We're tired of all of our other kids, you know, getting pregnant and, and doing drugs. 
we need the influence like your your kids in there. And my dad's like, no, influence works both ways. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, like I think I'm going to keep my kids out of that environment, keep, you know, working on their hearts, discipling them, training them up. And that would oftentimes cause, you know, frustration from the leadership. And, and then they really criticize my dad and be like, okay, you know what? Like, I think we're just not going to do this right now. And my dad's like the most humble guy. And I say this all to say that he's come to, which is ironic, here he is, you know, in his mid-60s. He's teaching a, a weekly family discipleship class at their church. You know, him and my mom are heavily involved on a regular basis at our local church. So are a lot of my married siblings. And so my dad has a servant's heart. He's always had that. He's always wanted to encourage and equip fellow believers. So it's not like he was this guy that was selfish with his time that just wanted everybody else to mind their own business. But yet there was, and I think there is a consistent, like pleading towards these strong men and be like, please give us more, 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 more. And at some point they have to draw the line be like, Hey, I have to look after my family and my flock here. And of course the needs always exceed their ability to serve. And that can cause frustration and criticism from the leadership in some of these churches. Yeah. I remember when we started going to a church consistently and I was in my teens, so I'm the oldest. My parents still had toddlers at home, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and then a couple of us were, like, barely on the single college uh, spectrum. And the leadership really wanted my parents to teach a small group, and they wanted us very involved in uh, the church as well, us kids. And something that my mom says a lot that I think is very encouraging it's just because there's a need, it doesn't constitute a call. And there will always be needs out there, but you have to be sensitive to what the Lord is specifically placing on your family's heart and be seeking him and being like, hey, do you want us to pursue this ministry opportunity or do you not? And my parents felt very strongly at the time that where they needed to be was at home doing family dinners with us. And that was their greatest ministry at that season of life. And since then, they've been a lot more freed up to do ministry. But I think that that's something just in general that isn't seen as ministry is raising your family. Yeah. And there are seasons for extracurricular ministry, and that can happen at any stage of life. Um, I'm so grateful for a couple at our church that they're pregnant with their seventh baby and they head up our home group. You know, they're very much in the thick of raising their children, but they feel like they're in a position where that's something that they can, they can do and they have the bandwidth for that. And I'm not saying that ministry doesn't stretch you beyond your borders at times because right. God does call us to go beyond what we think we can handle at the time or you know, to stretch ourselves out of our comfort zones where it's hard or we're more tired or um, our time is not getting to be spent on the things that we selfishly would like to do. Mm. Um, but when you're on the stage of raising young children, I think we need to be very careful to not overcommit ourselves. And sometimes uh, the church sees good fruit and they want the fruit, which is incredible, but sometimes, I mean, which makes sense, but then and sometimes the very act of pursuing ministry can destroy what brought that fruit to fruition in the first place. Yeah. Which was a single-minded focus maybe or an intentionality that was necessary. Yeah. Even if it wasn't single-mindedness, it was a high prioritization of that thing, putting it kind of yeah. on the top of the priority list. And I think when you have a, a long-term mindset, you can see, view things through the lens of seasons. You already talked about that, but and yeah, there may be a time where you're called to get outside of what you feel like your bandwidth allows you to. But I think that even when I look at my dad or your dad, when they highly prioritize the the health of their home, that that did mean saying no to a lot of additional ministry opportunities, right? Saying yeah. to, to many, like a plethora, because people were asking of them because they saw this fruit. However, they were faithful and say it's for 10 or 15 years that you're saying no to these outside opportunities. The opportunities only increase as you're, when you're faithful in those 
10 or 15 years to raising adult children that know and serve the Lord. I mean, it's just crazy that that's like, there's not very many like specific qualifications that the Bible gives us for elders and for teachers and preachers, but that's one of them is like to have your household in order. And when you think about having your household in order, it's really, to in my mind, I don't see that as being like, okay, he's got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, they're in order. I really do see it as a guy that's walked through the different stages of life with his kids. They are older. They're Lord willing, walking with the Lord. I mean, they're professing the faith. And to me, I, I do see that as like the 55 and up guy and older that is then in a position to really pour into the church with more time and more energy. And again, I'm not saying that you can't be a pastor if you're not, if you don't have raised kids. But I do think that there is a seasoned maturity that is hard to get without putting the time in that oh, a yeah. 60 or 65 year old has, or, you know, older 70, 75 year old has. And so I look at my dad now in his mid sixties and what he's able to pour into the church is highly due to the fact that he was really faithful to his family and to the home for that, you know, 15 year window when it really was crucial. It was like those crucial moments in the home. Yeah. We've talked about this where there's kind of this give and take, because when you're younger, you have all this zeal and energy, but it's also untempered. And a lot of it is theoretical. (laughs) And so you haven't walked through the actual highs and lows and seasons that someone who has experience of 20 or 30 years on you has. Like you just can't get that kind of experience in a decade. Uh, But at the same time, there is a place for that youthful ambition and energy. And I think the Lord uses both, obviously. But there's something that's just so secure. Like it makes me feel so secure. Like when I see all the elders at our church that have already raised their kids and so you can already see their fruit and you could see their children's marriages and see their children walking with the Lord. And there's something that just makes you feel confident taking advice for them from them or having them in that leadership role. So I don't even know how we got off on that. Yeah. Well, I think we were talking about like, if you want to start poking at the church and find reasons to not go to church on a regular basis, you know, it's easy to find the flaws in the church, especially if you're somebody that values family, right? When you, when you want your family to be built up and you want to disciple them, and then you look at what the average experience is at your average church, you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to go put my family in that environment. I think that's a really easy attitude to take. If you take that critical mindset towards, towards the, towards the church. Well, also, I was going to say, when you're already doing things that are countercultural or you're doing things that are going against the flow, then you get very used to everyone just thinking what you're doing is crazy. Yeah, I think so when you're raising your kids differently or you're doing life differently or you believe different things about marriage, then it can be very easy to not be sensitive to things that we should be doing that are in conformity. Um, And so we become so individualistic, maybe that we just, when people say, hey, you should be a part of a local body, we write that off as, oh, well, everybody does that and I'm doing it differently. (laughs) I've seen how well it's worked for so-and-so and that's not for me. Yeah, you're so right, Katie, babe. That's probably another common trait is they're so used to flexing that muscle of being countercultural, being different when something looks, like you said, like it's conformity. Like, yeah. well, anything conforming is wrong. You're like, well, not necessarily. Like, yeah. like meeting on Sunday at a specific time with a specific group of people at a specific location is not inherently wrong. You know, if they're expositing the word. Like well, that it's not could, inherently wrong. It's actually something that is inherently right. Yes, it's, yeah, exactly. It's something that scripture goes to the trouble to mention. And I think that's something that people uh, want to kind of write off is, okay, well, where is this local church in scripture? And why can't the fellowship with the brethren that scripture talks about be me hanging out with my groups of friends? Sure. Because we're all Christians and we're all gathering together. But I think that just when you look at scripture and there's full passages laying out the biblical hierarchy of a church and Mm. the biblical leadership, why does God go to the trouble of mentioning uh, class qualifications Mm. for 
pastors and bishops and deacons and how they should look if there was just no point in having any kind of biblical headship uh, when it comes to fellowshipping. Yeah, if there is no hierarchy, if there is no, like, do these roles exist or do they not exist? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, were they supposed to be there or were they not? Is there a purpose for them or are they totally unnecessary? And just me and Jesus and my Bible at home or having my three best friends over to a tea church, you know? Right, right. You're so right. And even, that's a good point, because it's like, okay, in the whole, we're all, you know, we all have the Spirit of God dwelling within us here. We can get together on whatever day of the week and encourage one another. Then you ask questions, okay, well, which one's the elder? You know, who's the deacon here? And maybe people do go about appointing themselves those different offices, you know, in an arbitrary (laughs) manner. Uh, But you're right, we're given these offices, and then we're also given a big thing, just the, uh, the church discipline. We talk about this. The the exercising of church discipline, how does that happen unless it is a structured, organized, specific body of believers that are central to a, to like a, a geographical central location, mm-hmm. right? Um, that just from a practical standpoint, the execution of church discipline, which is a big part of the New Testament, like almost requires there to be some structure there. We're like, hey, this is a formal, organized like gathering here, and there's something that you're going to be excluded from through church discipline if you are not conforming to God's standards here, if you're living in repetitive sin and not repenting, what are we going to exclude you from? Like you said, the random tea party that we invite you over to, you know, they're like is, that is so irregular and inconsistent. That's not really anything you're, you're excluding them from. But there needs to be this clear thing that somebody's being excluded from if they're living in consistent or repentant sin. And yeah, we see that. What was what was the reference? Was it in Galatians or was it in, you know, that guy? He was living in sin. Oh boy, I think you it was one of the Corinthians. Guy? Yeah, I think it was maybe First Corinthians or the Second of Corinthians. I don't know. Oh man, because <laughs> we were talking about this last week, and I meant to look it up. There's a guy who was living in sexual immorality with like his mother-in-law or something. Yeah. It was like some weird relationship. Yeah, and. I, I need to find the passage. Well, and, it's, and we're told to treat that person as an unbeliever. Yes. And which, again, I love how Luke brought this up recently. He's like, well, how do we treat unbelievers? We preach the gospel to them, right? Yeah. That's what we do with unbelievers. Love them and, and share so, the gospel with them. Yeah, but clearly they're outside of fellowship from this organized thing. Something that I think I grew up hearing a lot of out of context was the Matthew 18 passage that, hey, where two or three are gathered in my name, my spirit is there with them. And that's not talking about a church gathering right there. Like, yeah, you and me and somebody else, like, well, the spirit of God's dwelling within us. Like we already established that, but he's talking about when church discipline is exercised there, you know, when somebody wrongs you and you're going to, him, it's like, okay, we'll bring him before two or three and, you know, exercise that discipline. And in that context, Hey, you know, the spirit of God's with you. That's not saying, Hey, there's two or three, you're doing church right there. That's not what that passage is saying. So I think that's something that I grew up hearing. So anyways, I do want to get back really quick before we get derailed Yeah, yeah. to because I've, I've made it sound almost like all of the men I respect don't go to church. <laughs> I don't want that to be the common takeaway. I think a common theme in some of these men is that there's been a challenge for them to over seasons to find a church that is conducive to their beliefs and then to get to, to get to a point where they can be, you know what, this is say, this is good for me to go to church regularly. And this has always required some level of, I would even say compromise on what they would not consider to be primary issues. And this is something that I think is necessary just to be a Christian, like just to function with other believers. Because you even take the family, say, man, I value family greatly. This church doesn't value it. What happens when you just remove yourself from that body? Well, that's that body's not going to grow in their, in their view of the family. Like, it's crazy. This is something that's really inspirational is seeing when my dad made the change to really plug in maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, how that local body, the health of the families in that church is off the charts. Like just the healthy family. And I'm not saying it's all do my dad's, you know, it's, it's the collective, the pastor and, and everybody. But by being intentional and being there, you get to actually change the culture of a church. And this has happened in any time your dad's plugged in at the bodies that they've been a part of. 
Like the people have set, all of a sudden other kids are coming into the service with their parents. And this has happened really quickly in our church. I mean, you and I started going to our church three years ago and it's remarkable the difference in their, from the top down, their attitude towards family. And I don't think they had like a demeaning attitude towards family when we got there. I think they're very pro-family. That's something that we appreciated about them was we felt very welcomed. I think we did, but they weren't overtly pro-family. They were family welcoming. Does that make sense? But we were alone and sitting with our family in church and it's just kind of like this, okay, like, great, good for you guys. That's awesome. You guys are sitting with your kids in church, but none of the other families were doing it. We could have very easily been like, what? They have children's church. The other parents are doing that. We don't think that's how it's supposed to be. And we could have gotten, you know, on our high horse and been like, we're not, we're not going to church here. But instead, we, we stuck it out. And, and actually, I don't want to give ourselves any credit for the change in the family culture. You mentioned the family, I'll say their name, the Della Hooks. They've been a huge inspiration because they, here they are. Everybody in the whole church. They, and, and, and not just them, you know, the Rodlins and all of the pastors, all of them, where all of a sudden there is a strong, healthy attitude towards family that has happened relatively quickly since the Delahooks joined our church. And it's inspirational to be like, wow, there was this church that maybe had a more typical attitude towards family that was kind of like, yeah, send the kids there. You know, big kids go here, grownups sit here and listen to the word. And all of a sudden over the course of like a year and a half, two years, that's changed dramatically. And I would put a a big reason, I think a huge reason of that is just because of one family being heavily involved in the church and starting this family small group. And it's really turned into a family discipleship group and sitting with their kids and then meeting with the pastor and the pastor's now encouraging families to sit in the service. And so I say this all to say, I think both your dad and my dad took a little bit more of like a scoffer's attitude and said like, Hey, let's be proactive here. Like they're not teaching heresy. You said they took a little more of a scoffer's attitude. Less of a scoffer's attitude. Sorry. They took more of a proactive, like, Hey, let's be influencers here instead of just bystanders. And it's really cool to see what happens when you do that. Because I think more times than not, the pastors, the elders, they're they're not opposed to family culture. They just aren't really aware of their family culture. They're not yeah. thinking about it. And we use this as one example. I mean, it's not like everyone needs to sit near church for you guys to value family at the church that you go to. This is something that we value, and so it's something that we looked for in a church and wanted in a church and could have been a potential reason that we left a church to go somewhere else and find another church. (laughs) Um, And so everyone has their things that they're looking for in a church. And when you go, maybe you align doctrinally, but this thing rubs you wrong, or you feel like church needs to be done this way. You feel like the band needs to sound this way, or, you know, the worship needs to go a certain way, or you don't like certain elements. And obviously there are reasons to not go to a specific church and their primary issues that we would differ with on a church and say we aren't going to consistently fellowship here. But there's a lot of other things that we would just prefer or things that we value that we have to take the mindset of, well, maybe this church needs our perspective. Like, how are they ever going to change that perspective if we are actively participating? If anyone who does value this comes into the church and just says, oh, I'm just going to critique it from the back seat. These are, you know, not acknowledge that these are great people who want what the Lord has and are open to a different perspective if we chose to share that different perspective and said, just walk out the door and go somewhere else because that's easier. A big part of the church is being able to share our different perspectives. You know, the arm needs the eye and needs the leg and it's a lot harder and more uncomfortable to be able to to like go to the elders and have a conversation or go to the pastor and have a conversation or see what their heart is on a certain subject. And maybe they've just never seen something from this perspective before. And church cultures can really change when people who have a humble attitude and truly desire what's best for the body choose to communicate and pour into the church and have this perspective of how can I serve here where are these people? How can I serve the needs here instead of, oh, this isn't serving me, so I'm just going to leave. I'd mm-hmm. rather be at home. Um, and I think that this just in general is a big, 
kind of oversight. I don't, I don't know exactly what the word is when it comes to church though, is viewing, okay, is this serving my needs? Because the truth is, is if we aren't a part of a local body and we just kind of handpick our friends that we like and get along with and naturally, you know, they don't rub us wrong and we can just all, we all align on all the same stuff. It's a little echo chamber. Then is that, is that really God's design? Like when it comes to fellowshipping, there's something that's just so beautiful about going to church and you get to see the needs of people who are unlikable, you know, to your personality type. You have the elders, you have the old people in the community who have needs and you don't get to hear about their needs when we're just living in these little peer bunched clusters, you know, or um, I don't know, you just get to see the whole body of Christ at large. And I think sometimes people with this, you know, you mentioned a rugged individualistic mindset, think I am not limiting myself to go to a specific church. I like a church home, you know, <laughs> certain church building. I'm not going to limit myself to do that. I am going to be a part of the whole body of Christ and just kind of fellowship wherever. But naturally, we just kind of gravitate towards people who are like us. Mm. I think it's a lot less limiting to be going to a church building and say, I'm going to be invested in the needs here. And that's with people who don't look like me, who don't act like me, who aren't the same age as me. And this is where I'm going to pour in. There's actually a lot more variety in that opportunity than there is when we just kind of church hop and hang out with people in the same local district that we live in. That's a good point, Katie, because that, I think that's a really good insight because it would seem contrary to that on the surface. You say, well, if you're limiting your you know, effectiveness to these, whatever, 300 people that are a part of this local assembly then you don't get to experience the full diversity of the body of Christ. And if you're a free ranger, you can, you know, hip hop around and, and go see where the needs are and, and meet those needs from a diverse group of people. But just in being consistent in our church here, we've been exposed to so many, so many diverse struggles and trials and strengths and, you know, perspectives from being consistent so many more than we ever were when we were like, well, yeah, we can go down to the downtown church. And then when we're traveling, we can go here and we can go to this group of people. Cause you're just staying on a surface level. And that's the thing when you're staying on a surface level, you never really actually get to see what the true needs are it of the individuals years. there. Like yeah. we're three years at our church before one, we decided to become members yeah. and two before we're seeing a lot of these things. Exactly. And before we are seeing the prayerless and the needless and actually getting to a place in relationship with people where we're like, oh, that's what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. You know, Proverbs 18.1 talks about the man that isolates himself uh, being, or I'll actually, I'll read it. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. And in a lot of ways, it's easier than ever to isolate ourselves and not to realize we're doing that because mm -hmm. of how much information is accessible. And so I can sit at home and not fellowship with anybody for years, but feel like I'm growing as a Christian because I'm listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, reading books, watching YouTube, you know, theology breakdowns and be like, man, I'm growing in my understanding, but we're actually not growing really as a Christian because we're not exercising the gifts that God has given us, or we're not functioning as Christians are supposed to function, which is with other believers. So I do think it is easier than ever to isolate ourselves and to rage against all judgment, because when you're listening to a podcast or when you're listening to a sermon, none of it's actually directed to your personal life, right? It's somebody maybe across the country or, you know, in a different state that's speaking to a broad issue. When you participate at a local assembly and they see your interaction with your spouse or they see the way you're talking to your kids, all of a sudden it gets applied very personally and practically. And that's when you're tempted to rage against all judgment. You're like, wait a second here. Who are you to say, you know, what I'm supposed to do with my kids, you know, in the service or in their education or my wife and I, you know, whatever, like you get, get out of our business. And of course, yeah, there are guide, there are boundaries to, it's not like, Oh, everybody gets to speak into your marriage willy nilly. No, there are boundaries, obviously, within a healthy church. 
But there is group accountability that takes place when you are in fellowship and community with one another that I just think is laid out throughout all the New Testament books. I mean, just the fact that all of the epistles are written to what? They're written to specific local churches, right? They're not written to Joe Schmo sitting on his couch by himself as an isolated Christian. They're written to a body of Christians to be read in the context of like, hey, you're a body. You're a part of the body of Christ. This is your local expression here. Um, that says a lot right there, right? And so obviously we always take them and personalize them. It's like this this letter to the Ephesians, well, it's actually a letter to Elisha. This is what it means for me. Um, where it's, no, it's a letter to a church, you know? And what are the truths? Yes, are there things you can apply personally to your life? Absolutely. But that is the original context of all these books, is to a church. Yeah, and it's to a church that is not, um, again, because I think a big thing that, again, we, I say again a lot here, we've grown up with a lot of unconventional believers. Yeah. I would say, like, on the fringes of the mainstream church. And I would venture to guess that a lot of our listeners are that way, too. Maybe. I don't know. I would be curious. I mean, people that... I don't know. Value family. I mean, I think there's a lot of homeschoolers. Listen, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I would be I would be really curious um, because to some of you, this might just sound kind of like, well, yeah, duh. Like we've always gone to a church. Yeah. Um, why is this such a novel idea? But I think we've grown up with a lot of fringe types of Christianity where um, just that individual nonconformist viewpoint has been incredibly impactful but in this area of church I think has been a hindrance in overall spiritual growth and maturity and I think that it is something that my dad did not value early on he came out of this kind of fringe type of Christian cult at 14 years old and so he was very hesitant to anything that seemed kind of man-made or man-forced or restricted by man um, was just a big red flag. And obviously there's, there's those things out there. But then really coming to value it now that we're all adults, value that structure of church. I think it's just not, I think a lot of these types of Christians, and I can say that because I've been there, you think, okay, I am, I'm not in isolation. I have my friends that are Christians and we all get together and that's church. You know, I don't need this building, you know, these four walls saying this is church, you know, that's Yeah, And of course the building's not the church, right? The people that gather there and that makes it the church, right? Yeah. And I do think we're supposed to be under the, um, spiritual, uh, there is a there is a hierarchy when it comes to order, just like everything else. Yes. God always has hierarchy. He has hierarchy in family, and he has hierarchy within church. And so I think that that is important to note, that we don't really create that outside of local bodies. Yeah, well, that is another thing that's common amongst millennials, and I think in a lot of our groups is just anti-organ, what they would call organized religion. Yeah. And that obviously begs the question, like, okay, well, what, so then... Dis, like disorganized what you know and that's like I want my personal relationship with God and that implies that you can't say anything about it because it's personal you know but we're given structure in the Bible we're mm-hmm. given like an organized method to doing the church in the Bible and so we want it to be biblical of course and we don't want it to be something that the Bible says is wrong um, but we are naturally we naturally gravitate towards organization if it's going to be sustainable by saying, Hey, let's, let's do it at this time. And let's actually go through this passage. It's like, Hey, well, there you are. You're organizing religion. You well, know, God like, is a God of order. Yes. That's yeah. the interesting thing. Like, uh, he is not the author of confusion. Mm-hmm. He, I think he appreciates order and obviously that can skew to legalism, yeah. but, um, there's nothing wrong with organization. Oh no, no, it's great. It's extremely helpful. Yeah. Extremely helpful. Yeah. Something that I kind of, I've, I've seen as being really helpful to choosing. And this is something that you, you already mentioned. As you got older, your dad started to value it more. It's the same with my family. And I think I've, a theme I've seen with these dads that maybe were reluctant and then became a lot more, you know, I'll use the term conforming to whatever that local uh, 
you know, standard was for showing up to church or becoming kind of a, a pseudo member or an official member was seeing the fruit of it in their children. I think that they realized, man, I need my children to, pa- I need to pass something on to my children. I want them to be equipped and something that is really a propensity of, you know, being the rugged individual is, is you, is you start raising scoffers and you start ra- raising know-it-alls. And when you're exemplifying no, nobody else out there has it right. They're all wrong. And that's the attitude of your 14 year old son. You start realizing like, okay, this isn't healthy because clearly you, you know, instinct, instinctually, like nobody has it all together. Like mm-hmm. that's a truth. And so you can go drive home from church and, and scoff at the sermon and pick apart how we exposited in a poor manner. And the exegesis was off in this area. And you're, like I said, your kids in the back are like, yeah, yeah, they're dumb. They're dumb. You might be saying things in a kind of like hyperbolic manner, knowing that like, yeah, but you know what? We're all saved by grace and everybody's a flawed sinner, but your kids probably don't have that nuance, right? Your kids don't have that attitude of, oh, moving forward as a Christian, we are going to be fellowshipping with flawed Christians that are going to have a different interpretation of various passages. They will be wrong in some of their theology, just like I will be wrong in some of my theology. That doesn't necessarily get picked up. Like I said, I'm just picturing myself at 12, 13, 14, hearing my dad frustrated at a sermon and me thinking like, oh yeah, everybody in that church is dumb. We're smarter. That's just the attitude you take as a kid. Yeah. It can be an attitude of pride. Big time. And I mean, you touched on this too at one point that it is good, obviously, if stuff comes up in the sermon and you disagree with it to have that conversation. But there's a different perspective, like with your kids. But there's a different perspective of, okay, this was something. Did you guys notice this? Let's have a discussion about it versus just a scoffing. Let's tear down the pastor. Let's tear down uh, the, the what was taught here. You know, there there's a different attitude. That's exactly right. And that's something that I was going to point out as being helpful in being at a church that maybe is not 100% aligned with you, right? Because that's going to be pretty much any church you are a part of. It's not going to be 100% in alignment with your beliefs. Is it helps you solidify your beliefs. You say, okay, they sing those songs that I don't want to sing. Why do I not want to sing them? Is it the theology and the lyrics? Is it because of the, you know, the record label that produces them? All like my whole worldview is like, we can't sing those songs. You actually get to clarify and solidify what your belief is in that subject. Same in a way that he interprets a certain passage. You say, boy, that's contrary to my soteriology. Is that really how I think God has ordained salvation to be? Okay, let me break that down. And I get to talk it out with my kids and then take it to the next level saying, if I strongly agree, well, then that's like, take the pastor to lunch you know, and say, hey, let's break this down. Not in if a combative you strongly way. Agree. Disagree. Sorry. Disagree. Be like, man, this is he this keeps coming up and he and he seems to have this attitude towards this doctrine or towards this uh belief. Let, let's go to lunch, not in a combative manner, but but break this down. Let's address it. Let, you might call it confronting, you know, the pastor. And you give the pastor a chance to maybe he's saying like, maybe he would say, Boy, I never thought of it like that. Wow, thanks for bringing that to light. Or he's saying, no, I've really thought this through. This is why I believe this. And then you're challenged in your belief. You're going, okay, I need to defend my belief. Uh, To me, it does spur growth. And I'm saying this because I actually really regret leaving a church. I I do. I regret the whole way I left it. And this is, I mean, I was young. We were newlyweds. But it still sticks with me as a regret. Mm -hmm. And um, when I think of the way the pastor approached me, took me to coffee multiple times shared concerns for different areas of our life, I did not have a mature response to it at all. I had the scoffing attitude of... You're 25. Yeah, no, I get it. I I was young. But my attitude was like, (laughs) peace out. Like, see you later. And I look, and I'm saying that to say, I look back at that church, I'm thinking, boy, they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the word of God. They were worshiping the Lord. The pastor was a faithful minister of the word. Like if I had a friend moving to that town, they'll be like, Hey, I'm thinking about going to this church. I'd be like, good. Yeah. Like praise the Lord. Like go to that church, be under that pastor, worship with those saints. That's my attitude right now towards that church. But the yeah, attitude yeah. I had when leaving it was like, 
I know more than you. You know, there's that yeah. Ron Swanson attitude. Yeah, like in Home Depot. It's just like, I know more than you. Goodbye. And that that is not the heart that I want to have going forward. If I feel like the pastor is off or wrong and the elders are off, I want to ha- have an attitude of like, let's go talk. Like, I'm a part of this body. Like, yeah, like, like it's when you're just part so, of it, you're, you're choosing to take responsibility for what's going on there. Yes. And it's just so what, it when you when, just leave. Exactly. When you think of the foot being frustrated with the way, you know, the eyeballs are doing their thing and being like, I'm out. It's really funny to picture that, you know, versus like, hey, let's talk about this. I don't like, you know, how you're directing my feet here. Like <laughs> It's kind of funny to picture it both ways, to be honest. The feet leaving or the eyes leaving? Well, the feet just having the conversation with the eyes. Well, I think it's it's the feet. To me, that would be a pretty rational thing to have because it's like wherever the eyes are looking, the feet are going to be, <laughs> they're, they're going to be walking that direction. So the feet be like, hey, like you keep looking here and I'm kind of forced to walk that direction. Can we kind of be on the same page and where we're going here? You know, because I'm, this is really starting to hurt my feet. You're looking at the broken glass on the ground and I'm the one that's suffering way more than you. I feel like that's a reasonable conversation to have. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It's funny looking back to our perspective on church when we were newly married because neither of us valued it. I didn't value it at all. I think Elisha valued it more than I did. And then we got, um, we were like uh, in our honeymoon phase. And so like we weren't getting out of bed for anything on Sunday morning. We're just yeah. like, yeah, church, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stay yes. home for like a year. Yeah. Um, and then we just left. But I think it's, I think you're so right. Like my perspective is so changed too when it comes to church. And it's, it's, you're never going to find a church that you totally agree with. Mm. If you have, that's kind of crazy. Your personality must be like super chill or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the quote <laughs> That's is awesome, like, but if you find a, I forget how it goes, but it's like, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it or something like that. You know, oh, that's uh, good. I don't know. It's something along those lines, but that is, I, and that takes discernment I get because you can't say, okay, Hey, everybody's messed up. We're going to go put ourselves in a dangerous environment. You need, yeah, there needs faith. to be discernment, but that again causes you to seek out. You think, okay, we're commanded to be in consistent fellowship. Obviously Hebrews, what is it? Hebrews ten twenty five. do not forsake the assembling of the brethren as some have. So this is an age old thing. Okay. The whole like waking up on Sunday morning and being like, ah, I don't really want to go to church. This has been happening, you know, since the early church, people being like, I don't really want to be a part of the assembly. It doesn't mean, like, and, and I think people though, like I'll apply this to like, well, I'm not, I'm fellowshipping with other believers because I have them over to my house or whatever. But it's like, it wasn't saying don't just sit in your house and be a monk and never talk to anybody. Yeah. Does that make t- sense? They were talking very specifically about the local gathering. About a, a Like church, an organized. An organized church. Don't gathering. forsake the for sem- assembling of the brethren. Doesn't mean don't stay at home and be a hermit. It means don't stay home from a local gathering. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so anyways, I can't remember. That was, that, I don't know if that was my whole thought on that. Sorry. No, I, I derailed you. No, this, I mean, this has been quite the shotgun episode. <laughs> the shotgun like, episode? I don't know. I feel like we're just, or maybe shooting from the hip episode. I don't know. Like, Do you not feel like we're very aligned on this? I think we are. I think you and I are very aligned. I think it's just we've been like verbally processing here for however long we've been talking. It's probably been an hour. I don't know. But I'd be curious to hear our listeners because it's, like I said, this is a common theme and I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that our listeners have come across where people that are serious about their faith, serious about studying the word, you know, bringing up their family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord have a reluctance to join in a local assembly and, and why that is, you know, and, and, and yeah, I don't know. Cause the people that I respect the most have gone through that and then have chosen to be a part of a local assembly and they haven't taken the attitude of, well, I can't find the right church. It's like, no, they, they figure it out, you know? Well, and, and there is that generational, like you said, everything we do has generational impact. And I think our kids are watching us. Mm. What are we valuing? What are we, um, and it's not, it's not putting man before God. You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to cow to this pastor no matter what he says. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's still, we're taking everything to scripture and to the word of God as the ultimate authority. But there's a lot more, I would feel a lot more secure 
in our children's faith too if they valued the local assembly and wanted to be a part of that because there's just there's you know in a multitude of counselors there is safety and that people from different walks of life and different opinions and different ages and I guess I've been so blessed the last three years as we've just kind of done everything that we've never really valued growing up. Wow. As far as like, okay, <laughs> okay, I know it's a big statement, but like becoming church members, that's yeah. something I never saw us doing. Yeah. Or like joining a home group. Yeah. We didn't value joining home groups. Mm-mm. We just, if anything, we're scoffers of home groups. Yeah. But we've really come to value that. And yeah. we've had to stick it out through some seasons where like everything in us wanted to bail because we've just been so flighty. Yeah our whole lives. Um, and then I don't know, just becoming more involved and wanting to become more involved in our church. It's just, it's all new and it's just been such a blessing to Mm -hmm. our spiritual growth and to our family. And we've, we've fought it like, and gone through seasons where we've had to talk ourselves back in, I guess. And I just say it's, it's been a really huge blessing. So I'd encourage, I'd, I'd encourage people to do that if you haven't. Yeah. There's a huge blessing in obeying God in that area and being a consistent part of a local body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Which I just, you know, there's these parts of scripture where sometimes we just write them off. I don't know how, but this is, this is one that I did. I just didn't see it as a, as a big deal. Hmm. And I don't know why, but I've been very blessed since applying that. We can probably wrap this up. Yeah, we're done. We're done. (laughs) Thank you all for for listening. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 